question this morning. Last week, we talked about those who were lost. This week, we're talking about what it means to be transformed by God. Have you, have you been transformed by God? Literally, the passage we're going to look at in John chapter 3, some of you are familiar with. It's kind of old school. Talks about what it means to be born again or born from above. Have you been born from above? Been transformed by God? Today is the two-year birthday of my son, Jet. He is the cutest little thing. You know, he is a pastor's son when he was born on Easter weekend, days before I had to preach for Easter at Carmel High School. You guys remember that a couple years ago? And, uh, you know, the birth, it was very difficult for me as a husband, you know, really hard for us husbands, isn't it, those births? And uh, my wife did all the work, and she wanted me to do one thing when it came to my son, Jet, being born, and that was she wanted me to help deliver him. You're supposed to laugh at that, man. (laughs) Like me, I have no medical skills whatsoever. And she wanted me to help with the doctor's assistance to deliver our child. And I said, honey, I love you, but I do not love you that much. And yet I do because I quickly changed my mind and said, I will do it, honey. And I got to help deliver a child. Isn't that crazy? Now, some of you out there are like me and you're like, that's disgusting, I would, I would never want to do that. And I'll tell you, I thought it was going to be the worst experience in the world. It was amazing. It's the only time. I'll always have this experience being the first one to get to hold my son and pick him up. And it was, it was incredible. Look into his eyes for the very first time. And it's pretty different, but the Bible uses the birth of a child as an analogy of what it's like to know God, to be born spiritually. That there is a time where you become a Christian and you were born spiritually to God. And that same experience of holding and seeing my son's face for the first time, I've had that spiritually with people, especially over the last five and a half years in Mercy Road Church, of seeing many of you for the very first time know God and that look on your face, man, it's life-changing. And my desire this morning, if you forget everything else, is that each of us will get to experience that with somebody in our lives, get to see them transformed by God, and maybe it's going to be some of you that are here in the, this service for the very first time. You're going to experience God, and he's going to begin to transform your life. You guys ready to study God's word together? Mm-hmm. I know the crazy service. Here we go. Chapter 3 in John, beginning in verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee. Which you know it's not starting good when it says Pharisee in the New Testament. Those were like the religious zealots. You know, the Bible thumpers that tell you that there's something wrong with you. You're a bad person. Pharisees were not known for their compassion. Here in this passage, there was a man named Nicodemus who was a Pharisee, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. Underline and circle that. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, We know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. 
You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again or born from above. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for so many in this service that came out on spring break week to worship you, to study your word. I know in this room right now, we have people all over the spiritual map. Many people, it's their first time maybe uh, in a, a facility like this. We started this church for people just like that. And then for others, been Christians for decades. God, we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in the room with us right now. God, we pray you'd speak to our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen, amen. On your phone, how many of you have Snapchat? Okay, okay, the young people in the room. Glad that we figured that out. Uh, I gotta confess to you, for like the first time, I realized that I'm becoming the old guy. You know that feeling? I've been using Facebook and Instagram and Twitter for a long time. I love social media. I use it on my phone. I don't get Snapchat. I don't get it. Anybody out there, you don't get it? You don't use it? Yeah, come on now. We're getting old. Those are the old people in the room. And so even though I don't get Snapchat yet, I am on Snapchat. You know why? Because I need to learn how to communicate to people right where they're at. Part of following Jesus is about allowing him to change our perspective in life. And change isn't easy, is it? We're going to talk about a whole lot more than Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook this morning. But sometimes it's not easy. But people do change. My 92-year-old grandfather, okay, 92 years old, he recently uh, fell over Christmas time at our house and hit his head very hard on the floor. He had a CT scan, didn't turn up anything, but about six weeks later while he was in Florida, he had blood on his brain and he had to have surgery, brain surgery at 92 years old. This is just like my grandpa. Within days of brain surgery, he was up walking around everywhere, talking, nothing has changed. And he flew back two weeks after he had brain surgery. He flew back to Indiana where they stay for six months out of the year in Kokomo. And I picked him up at the airport uh, this week, drove him up to Kokomo and had dinner with him. And my 92-year-old grandfather that had brain surgery pulls out his iPhone. A few years ago, he didn't even have a cell phone. The last time I saw him, he had one of those flip phones. Anybody in here have the flip phone? Any dinosaurs in here? Yeah, okay, great. Like, you got to, you got to, like, to send a text message, you have to hit like 5,000 buttons. Like, that was my grandfather. He, know how to, he knew how now to use an iPhone. He still can't send a text message, but he knows how to use an iPhone. If my 92-year-old grandfather can use an iPhone, there is hope that you, yes, you can change. We can change. When it comes to spiritually in our lives, if we get to the point where we have become so stagnant in our faith that we no longer are adapting and changing and learning from the Lord and our faith looks the exact same it did 10 years ago or 20 or 40 or 50 years ago, and we're not growing in our faith, then we're really not living out the New Testament understanding of knowing God. That the more you pursue him and follow him, the more you're changed and transformed by him. But the reason that we don't change is because it's not easy. And so according to John chapter 3, I want to use that as a launching pad to give you four reasons this morning that I, even me, that I don't change. And maybe you can identify with some of these found in John chapter 3. And the first reason I don't change is that I'm afraid to change. Change is scary, isn't it? 
Even spiritually, it's scary. It was for Nicodemus. Look at verses one and two here. This Pharisee named Nicodemus, who, by the way, was very educated to be on the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. He was also probably pretty wealthy and powerful within the community. And it says that in verse two, he came to Jesus when? At night. Why did he come to Jesus at night? Like Jesus was there all during the day. Why did he go up and talk to him then? Because he was afraid. Like you and like me, even 2,000 years ago, this guy had a lot to lose for following Jesus. And he was afraid if he went during the day, like the other Jewish ruling council members would see him. Hey, you hanging out with the heretic? You hanging out with that blasphemer? That false prophet? Afraid of what would happen if he went to Jesus during the day. Now, the key part is, even though he was afraid, he still went only at night. So he did better than most that he actually still went. But for many people, I find we're not too different than Nicodemus. For many of us who encounter Christ, if we never take next steps of faith, we don't do it because we're afraid of what people will think. We're afraid of what people think. You, you know how it goes. Like, you understand, Josh, like, if, if I really believe this stuff, that Jesus gave his life on the cross to cover up for my mistakes, I'd be forgiven for all my bad stuff, that he rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father, and that he's going to return and set the world right, and I'm going to spend eternity in heaven, and I can experience God in my life right now, that I am not alone, that I really believe that the Spirit of God is in the room with me right now. You don't understand. People are going to look at me differently. My coworkers are going to look at me differently. What are they going to think? I'm going to have to change some things in my life. I don't want to change those things. I'm afraid to change those things. I like those things. You been there? Nicodemus was. He was afraid of the change, and so he went to Jesus at night. But I'm reminded that it's only when we break through the fear of change that God can begin to truly transform our lives. Do you realize the Bible is full of people who didn't have no God encounter him genuinely through the person of Jesus? It so transforms their life. They go on to, to lead, to lead the future church. An example, Saul. You, Paul used to be called Saul. You remember Saul? He was literally a religious terrorist going to homes of Christians, pulling them out of their homes, imprisoning them, and in the case of Stephen, looking on at his stoning and celebrating his death. Nobody farther from God than Saul. And yet one encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, it so dramatically changes his life. He writes most of the New Testament and starts churches all over the Roman Empire. He was genuinely transformed by God. See, some of us, we know about God. You maybe even grew up as a Christian. Your, your family knew about God, but you have never been transformed by him. Your life has never looked different because you've known him. Paul is radically changed, and he writes this to the Roman church in Romans 1.16. He says, for I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of the good news of Jesus because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. He says, I really believe this stuff that I'm going to spend eternity with God. And I want other people to know it. And I'm not embarrassed or ashamed about that. I'm no longer going to live in fear of what people might think. I want to live as Paul did, to not be afraid that we can change. See, because number two of the four reasons I don't change and think Ademus was afraid to change. Number two, because we think that I can't change right? 
Like some of you are like, I want to change, but I just, I can't. That's never going to happen. I'm never going to be one of those Christians that, you know, super Christians. And yet I've seen in our community right now, people leading in the faith who just a few years ago didn't know God or had never been transformed by him. And yet when you encounter him, it changes things in your life. See, in verse 3 of John 3, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, literally born from above. That you're born of God, that people look at you and go, there's something different. Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. That you are a new creation in Christ. Here's how that works. When I was 19 years old and a fraternity guy doing stuff that fraternity guys did, a lot of junk in my life. And I encountered God in a real way for the first time. It, it changed my life. I began to be transformed by him. And some of those same guys I used to hang out with and party with, they'd look at me and they'd go, something's different about you. They didn't love all the change. They didn't totally dislike all the change. They appreciated it over time, but they knew something was different. Have you been transformed by God? Because many of us, we just think that I can't. You see, while I think following God is always a process, and I'll talk about that in a moment, spiritually in the New Testament, there is always a moment where God enters into a person's life and change begins to occur. Like a rocket ship taking off from Earth's atmosphere. As you get higher and higher, the atmosphere dissipates. However, there is always a moment where you have left the atmosphere and there is no longer any gravitational pull and you are in outer space. In the same way, when you encounter God, there is a moment in time where you are born of the Spirit of God and people start going, hey, there's something, something different about you. Something different. It begins with us confessing our faith in Romans 10, 9 to 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Paul did that very thing. And it was years later, God had transformed his life enough that he now embarks on this long missionary journey. He'd take three of them to change the Roman empire. The same is true for us today. And I was talking with Pastor Darren. You guys know my wife and I, in five weeks, we're going on sabbatical. The church won a grant to pay for this entire sabbatical for us to go on. We don't want to go right now. The church doesn't want us to go right now. We love it. This is the greatest time of our lives. And yet, that's probably the best time to get rested as we rest up to launch Saturday night services beginning August 19th. And we'll now have four weekend services beginning August 19th, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. If you're interested in starting Saturday night services, talk to Dana. She would love to talk with you about that. But we're prepping for all these big things for the fall, but we're about to go. And while I'm gone, those, those 12 weeks, Pastor Darren's going to be preaching about six to seven times while I'm gone. And some of the rest of the team, we're going to have some great guest speakers in. Over the last few months as we've been preparing, Darren and I had this one conversation and it always stuck with me. He said, you know, as a Christian, we love, in our church, we love the freedom of Christ. Right? Too many people only understand a relationship with God is like this list of do's and don'ts. Don't do this. Do this instead. This legalistic faith. We have freedom in Christ. We know him, and we just get to live for him. However, the other side to that coin is that if our lives as Christians don't look different, from the rest of society and culture. We don't look any different. We 
partake in the same things, we drink the same amount, we inhale the same things into our bodies, our sexual lives look the same as everybody else, right? We're talking like if our uh, way we treat people, whether or not there's animosity and hate within our community, if it, if it all looks the same as the rest of society, have we really been transformed by Christ? Part of you going from lost to leading is saying, I'm not always going to live on this spiritual milk, First Peter says. Instead, I'm going to begin to grasp on to greater things. I'm going to be transformed by God. And maybe some of us this morning need to hear that, but we've got reasons that we don't change. And one of them is we think that I can't, partially because, number three, you're going to say, I'm too old. I'm too old. Now, I'm not just talking to the older generations in the room. When I say I'm too old, I just mean in general, you've done your life a certain way. I've met 25-year-olds who will tell me, you don't understand, Josh. I've done this in my life the last 10 years. It's who I am. It's the way I am. It's not going to change. I've I've met young people, and I've been to a young person that says, you don't understand, like, I'm the party guy. (laughs) Right? Like, I like the party. And if I surrender to Christ and you're asking me to change something, I, I can't change that. I've done it too much this other way. I'll never be able to see that change. We're talking about identity issues. See, for some of us, you, know, you understand, like, Josh, I'm a, I'm a businessman first. I'm good at it. Some people might say I'm stingy. I say I'm frugal. And this is who I am. It's the way I was made. It's what I'm good at. Some of us say, I, I'm, the, I'm the gossip, like I'm, I'm good socially. I love to talk and talk a lot and talk to other people about other people's problems. That's who I am. It's who I am. You don't understand, Josh. I'm, I'm a sports fanatic. I love the Colts. I love the Hoosiers. I love, what's that team in the Northwest? I don't remember. Who cares? But I love Butler, right? Like Purdue, do we love Purdue in here? I know there's way too many Purdue fans in this church. But you were not created by the Almighty God, knitted together in your mother's womb so that you could be identified by those things. The only identity he desires for you is for you to be his son or his daughter, created in the image of God, to live out of that identity. However, for so many of us, we don't understand the loving God that we serve. We don't think that we can change because when we've tried, we realize we're still kind of (laughs) disobedient. And we failed. And you've tried to honor him. You've tried to break your addictive habits. You've tried to treat your spouse better. You've tried to treat your kids better. You've tried to live differently at work. You've tried to live with integrity. And you've done it for a while. And your willpower eventually broke. And you gave in. And you just say, I can't be obedient. I'm never going to be one of those good Christians. And that's because, I'm going to be honest, you don't really understand the Bible. We teach this in our discipleship huddles. And I want to show this will be a review for a few of you. But let's put this triangle up there. And I want to, in light of that, read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. I'll bring the image back up in just a moment. But in light of that triangle, I want to read this verse. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Martin Luther, the great Reformationist theologian, he said, sola fide, it's by faith alone that you have been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. No one. You don't change your life by your willpower. 
The way that we demonstrate greater obedience to him is to get to know God more, and he does the work in changing our lives. It doesn't mean that we don't do good works to be obedient to God and to honor him and to stop those addictive habits and to treat people better and to live differently, but we do it for a different reason. Look at verse 10 in Ephesians chapter 2. For we are God's handiwork, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We do those good works, those good deeds. We change our lives because we are so overwhelmed by his grace and his forgiveness in our lives. It's for by grace, by faith that you have been saved, not by works that no one can boast. And because he's done that for you, you want to love him back by going out and serving him. Let's put this triangle back up here. You see, most of us, we get this completely backwards. We think that if I have this relationship with my heavenly father, I got to please him. So I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to stop drinking that much. I'm going to start talking nicer to my spouse. Stop looking at the things I've been looking at, doing the things I've been doing, saying the things I've been saying. And when I do that, when I become a good person and I'm obedient enough, then he'll love me enough that I'll find my identity as a son or daughter and I get to be with him in heaven. That is the exact opposite of what Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 just said. It didn't say you become obedient enough and then he loves you. He says he loves you first, by faith you've been saved, not by works so no one can boast, and because of that, you respond with obedience. Do you see the difference? So when you say, I'm too old, I can't change, just like Nicodemus in verse four, he says, how can someone be born when they are old? And he's playing on this idea that I could go back into my mother's womb as a joke, but many of us feel that way. I can't do what you're saying. I can't change because I've done it this certain other way. And when I've tried, I failed because we've been doing this backwards. You need to understand you don't have an obedience problem. You have an identity problem. And in my own life and struggles, what I have seen, the obedience changed when I loved him and desired him enough that I knew that if I was disobedient in this area, it would break relationship with him and I didn't want to lose the best thing going on in my life. The greatest thing I've ever been a part of in my life is following God. Hands down. Because when you know the God that created the world and redeemed us, it makes every day worth living. You know that you're not alone and you have a purpose and a plan. You are not here by mistake. You're not still living just for no reason. You are here to to help him lead others to him. And he desires for you to, to be transformed by him, to be loved by him. And when you experience that love, you want to go share that with other people that you now exist, as we sang earlier, before the sake of the world because you have been transformed by him. That would be my desire for my life and our desire as a church. The fourth and final thing that I want to share from the last four verses, for the sake of time, I just want to look at verse eight in John three. It said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. It says that God cannot be controlled. He moves where he may. And for some of us, one of the reasons we never follow him and are transformed by him because we can't fully understand him. And if you're one of those in the room, like for me, you love to use your left side of the brain and you love to ask tough questions and you're a logical person. God created you that way for a reason. Ask your questions. He can handle it. But don't think for a second 
that you can demean and diminish a relationship with an almighty God that created the universe, knitted you together in your mother's womb, created everything we know in six days and took a seventh day off just to show off. Don't think that you're going to boil him down to a few textbook answers that you have memorized. It's part of knowing him is knowing that you will never fully understand. And maybe this morning, one of the reasons that you don't allow him to change you is because you can't figure God out. I got news. You don't have to because he is all loving, all perfect and desires for you to be loved by him. And he's pursuing you and pursuing you and pursuing you. And for those that are friends of mine who were either atheist or agnostic or asking spiritual questions that over the last few years have had their lives truly transformed by Jesus Christ, it always came as they actually developed a relationship they could never deny because he began to speak to them in their lives, not audibly, not hearing the voice literally of God, but they knew he was living an active life. They saw him show up. And when you get a taste of that, you don't want to give it up ever. The beauty is that we don't have to figure him out. There was one person that began to understand that, that we've read about this morning in the New Testament, and it was Nicodemus. You see, chapter three isn't all that we know about Nicodemus. We know after Jesus' three years of ministry, Nicodemus shows up again. In John chapter 19, beginning in verse 38, Jesus has now been crucified. And his body has been taken down from the cross. And it's in this moment that Nicodemus demonstrates the life transformation. He has gone from this Jewish Pharisee who was afraid to even approach Jesus to now boldly living his faith out for all to see. Look at verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders, much like Nicodemus had. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by who? Nicodemus. Now, some of you are like, we don't know if it's the same Nicodemus. That could have been like a really common name. Uh, it, it literally tells us, <laughs> the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. The guy that was so afraid to approach Jesus during the daylight now is walking through town carrying 75 pounds. Can you picture it? I don't know if he had it in a satchel like Santa Claus or what, but he's walking through town with 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe to anoint the body of Jesus, I believe, for two reasons. Number one, so that when Jesus wakes up, he smells good. And number two, the 75 pounds is important. You see, that was not typical. But we have historical accounts of this occurring of that amount, 75, 80, 90 pounds of spices. And it was always for the burial of royalty. And so Nicodemus isn't just anointing the body of Jesus and he's not just living his faith out now, serving him. He's actually demonstrating that this isn't just some guy I knew. This is the king of my life. And for some of us, we have known about God a very long time. We may have even prayed a prayer one time, but we have never made Jesus the king of our life. 
to say, I will orient my life around you. I will be transformed by you. I will be vulnerable enough. I will no longer give into these lies and these fears that I'm afraid of, that I can't change, that I'm too old, that I can't figure you out. I'm just going to follow you, Jesus. And I don't care who knows because I got freedom in you. And I want people to see that I'm different. I am a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I will no longer live for these things of this world. I will no longer be a slave to the sin and the brokenness and the, the destruction that many of us encounter in this life. Instead, I will be made new. I am a child of the living God. I have found my identity in you, and now I will be obedient out of the love I want to show you back. If that's your desire for your life, you now have a purpose. You don't just exist to live for a nine to five and some fun weekends and to get to go to Florida on spring break. We're still watching you guys, but you now exist to live on mission for him. If you desire that kind of life, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what God has been doing in our midst this morning. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, We surrender this morning to you. God, we we know that none of us in this room are perfect. We all are broken people. And we ask for forgiveness. For some of us in this room, like Nicodemus, this morning, we want to put our own myrrh and aloe at the foot of your cross and say, you are our king. I'm going to demonstrate it in my life. If that's you here this morning, you would like to not just pray a prayer, but to demonstrate that you are fully God's and surrender your life to to Jesus as your king. I invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I'm not perfect, but I want to live for more than just myself and whatever fleeting amount of pleasure I can get out of this life. Instead, I surrender my time, my talents, my treasures, my existence to you, Lord Jesus. Use me. You are the king of my life. We love you, God. We pray you continue to transform us as followers of you to become more like you, Jesus. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen.